Once again, as we begin our time this morning in the Word of God, I'll just ask you to bow with me for a word of prayer. Father, we once again bow before you, and we are grateful for this opportunity to open your Word together, to look at the profound truth of what your Word tells us. Help us to embrace it, help us to know it, help us to believe it, that we might walk according to it, that your name would be greatly exalted in our life and in the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as we have heard this morning and as as Tim has exhorted all of us in the beginning, I want us to once again return to our study of Paul's letter to the Romans. We are in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, as we begin to focus our attention on just the beginning few verses. And I want to begin this morning by just saying this, as true Christians, if you were with us last Lord's Day as we were studying the final verses of chapter 7, even as we heard them being read this morning, then I am sure as you sat and listened to the words of Paul, either this morning or even last week, You were thinking that he was speaking and describing your very life. If you're a Christian, you were sitting there thinking, that's exactly me. In other words, you know that the Scriptures are the rule for all life and godliness. You know that the Scriptures command you as a Christian to discipline yourself for godliness. You understand and are well aware of your personal and constant struggle at obedience to the very scriptures that you open up, hopefully every day, let alone every week, month, year. You know that the scriptures command you to be thankful in all things, and yet you're not. You know that the Scriptures command you to rejoice always, and you do not. You know that the Scriptures command you to love others as Christ has loved you, and you think, how in the world can I, and you fail often at that. You know that the Scriptures teach and command as a Christian you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And you know that you do not. And as you sat here last week, your heart probably resonated with the words that we heard this morning in verse 24, as Paul said, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death. You may even be here right now. Because of the week you've had, because of the failures you have experienced in your own Christian obedience, and you are still in that place, and you are still asking that very question about your very soul. Wretched man that I am. Not uncommon place, really. That is a place filled with true believers, a place filled with people just like you and I who are striving to live our Christian lives and yet who find ourselves constantly very often on the side of failure, 
a place far too often frequented by those who truly know Jesus Christ, but yet should not be a place for us to go. Why? Because the truth is that if you are truly saved, if you are truly a person who knows Jesus Christ by faith, then you are no longer condemned. There are a few chapters in the entirety of Holy Scripture that surpass the motivating encouragement of the words of chapter 8. From its very beginning to the very end and every word in between, we should find from it a motivating encouragement to fight each and every day for obedience through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this chapter is said on the backdrop of the sobering reminder of chapter 6 and 7 that no effort on our part, no effort at all from any of us can either justify us nor can it sanctify us. And so Paul, now clearly showing us that the Holy Spirit is the power which enables us as Christians to obey God, even even when temptation of the flesh is calling and calling loudly. And we can be victorious, and we can actually obey the Scriptures. We can actually do what God asks us to do. As one commentator described it this way, he said, This chapter begins with no condemnation. It ends with no separation. And everything in between is... No ultimate defeat. No condemnation all the way to no separation. And everything in between is ultimate victory. So why, as Christians, do we become so overwhelmed by our failures? Why do we find it so seemingly difficult to obey? Well, I want to submit to each one of us here today that it is because we are continuing to convince ourselves that every time we sin, every time we disobey, that we are still under the condemnation of God. That's why we struggle. But the theme of this entire chapter, the theme of all 39 verses, is that for the Christian. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the theme. That is the theme. And that so as Christians, this truth ought to be already locked deep within our hearts. It ought to be the very foundation upon which we are now motivated to obey. Yet, we allow it not to be. Now, we have already seen and heard this truth in our study. This is not 
new for the Apostle Paul to share these words for us. He hasn't shared these particular way in which he put these words together in chapter 8, and particularly the theme in verse 1 like this, but he has said this theme before, back in chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. And the law came in that the transgression might increase, But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the same essential truth that we have been hearing and here again here in chapter 8 verse 1. So in essence, Paul is picking up where he left off in chapter 5. Chapter 6 and 7 were that, in essence, parenthetical insertion that Paul puts there so that we understand that we can't just throw the law out and become antinomian. And we cannot become those who say, well, it doesn't matter anymore what I do because grace is all over the place. Here Paul says, The fundamental and foundational proposition for obedience in our Christian lives is Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The rest of the chapter proves this glorious position that we have before God. Paul takes this theme and he proves it in the rest of the chapter. And he gives us seven proofs for why you and I as Christians, if we are truly saved, are no longer condemned before God. Seven proofs of no condemnation for the Christian. And I'll just list them for us. And as you well know, we'll spend the next few weeks going through these. Number one is this, the unity we have with Christ. The first proof is the unity we have with Christ. We'll look at that in a moment, verses 1 to 4. Number two, the work of the Holy Spirit in us. The proof that we have no condemnation before God is the work of the Holy Spirit within us, verses 5 to 13. Number three is linked with that, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. The work of the Holy Spirit in us and the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, which is verses 14 to 17. The fourth proof is the inheritance we have in glory. fourth proof that we are not condemned as Christians is that we have an inheritance in glory, verses 18 to 25. The fifth, the Holy Spirit's intercessory work for us. The Spirit's intercessory work for us, verses 26 and 27. The sixth, the guarantee of our salvation through the very character of God. The guarantee of our salvation through the very character of God, verses 28 to 34. And then the final reason, the final proof that there is no condemnation for the Christian is the reality of no separation. The reality of no separation, verses 35 
to 39. So these are the seven proofs of no condemnation for the Christian. The unity we have with Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit in us, the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, the inheritance we have in glory, the Holy Spirit's intercessory work on our behalf or for us, the guarantee of our salvation through the character of God and the reality of no separation. Seven proofs that the Christian is not condemned. Now, if that doesn't excite you, you need to wake up. If the reality of that position does not excite you, you have to do a real soul check on your position before God. Because these are what we are going to be focusing our attention on over the next few weeks. And before we get there, we have to deal with this whole reality of the foundation. We have to deal with verse 1. We have to have our hearts so settled there in order to walk through these proofs. So rest assured that even though you as a Christian still sin, as we begin our time, rest assured you are not condemned in the eyes of God. And that truth alone ought to motivate you to greater obedience. The reality that you are not condemned before God ought to to motivate you to, to do what God says and to strive by the power of the Spirit in order to do what God says. Some have tried to say that if you go about telling believers that when they sin, they don't need to worry about it anymore because they're not condemned, then you are just helping them to go on sinning all the more. In other words, aren't you simply freeing them up in their conscience to sin all the more by declaring that position that there's no condemnation? And the only answer to that is no, I'm not doing that, nor is Paul doing that, nor is anyone else through history who has proclaimed the truth. Why? Because if you are hearing the words of the Apostle Paul, that since you are in a position before God of being innocent by means of the justification of God as a declared act by God, you are innocent by way of eternal judgment, then don't worry about sin anymore. Then you actually misunderstand justification in what is being said. That is simply to say, to understand justification, to understand rightly that you are no longer under the power or the penalty of sin would never motivate you to return to the very sin that condemned you and killed you. To understand rightly that you are innocent by the declaration of God, by faith in Jesus Christ, that you are not under condemnation, is not a motivation to run to sin and do whatever you like and have freedom to do whatever you like. But if you rightly understand your justification before God as undeserved as it is before God because of your place of condemnation prior to God's work in your heart, it would. if you rightly understand that, you'll never run back to sin in that way, you will simply choose obedience out of gratitude for what God through Christ has done and what He has equipped you to do. So like the title of my message says, ashamed? Yes. Absolutely. Completely crushed 
and ashamed of my sin. Condemned because of my sin? No. No. I trust this will become clear as we study through this chapter. So with all of that in our minds, let's begin to just look at this great theme stated in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have to know that even throughout this week as I was studying and reading, I could not get myself past this. I could not get myself past the reality of that. The monumental reality of this very verse. This is the criteria. Unbelievers are in a condemned position. This is the great news of the gospel. This is the massive unseen difference between you as a Christian and the non-Christian world. The difference between the believing world and those who are unbelievers. One stands in a position of God before, or before God in a position of condemnation and the other does not. As Christians, we are no longer in a position of condemnation. We were. We were in that position, and now we are no longer in that position. Colossians 1 and verse 13, you have been transferred from the domain of darkness. That's the domain of condemnation into the domain of His dear Son. The domain of no condemnation. Brothers and sisters, I cannot overemphasize the importance of that truth for us to embrace. We cannot have this as some kind of head knowledge only. We cannot have the truth of this verse as just some words floating around in our head. For I believe that that is part of the problem as to why we get so depressed and so down in our Christian lives. I find this to be true at times, even in my own life. Why is it? Why is it, O oh my soul, that you get down when this is your position? Here's what happens. Here's what happens in our life. We, we are living our Christian lives. We are even finding that we are becoming victorious and victorious over weaknesses that we've had. And, and God is revealing to us these weaknesses in our life. And then we sin. It really doesn't matter what kind of sin it is. It doesn't matter if it's a sin of thought or if it's a sin of some kind of act and deed. And we go farther in that sin because we begin to convince ourselves that that since we have sinned, God would never be happy with us. And if He is not happy with us, then there is no way that I could be a Christian. This is what I'm doing. This is how I'm thinking. There's no way that I can be part of God's family because after all, Christians don't do those things. They don't think those things. And so suddenly what I have done has gone from being ashamed of my sin, and I should be, rightly so, I go from being ashamed of my sin to placing myself in the place of condemnation before God. 
So what has happened? I've done wrong. True. I'm ashamed of the wrong. True. I know God hates sin. True. I know that I profess to believe unto salvation. True. But I begin to doubt, and I begin to doubt the actual truth of what God has said in His Word. And I begin to convince myself that salvation is seen in the perfection of obedient action. Here and now on this earth, the perfection of obedient action rather than in the unperfect direction of obedience here and now. Suddenly I've become an effort cranking out Christian trying to earn my sanctification on my own. And because I have failed to obey, therefore I must be condemned. So we hear these encouraging words from God through the Apostle Paul. There is therefore now no condemnation. I tell you what, I love the little words of Scripture. The big words are great, but the little words say a whole lot. Do you notice, thankfully, that it does not say there is therefore potentially no condemnation or there is therefore potentially in the future for you possibly no condemnation you see if it said that if it said that you and I would go and try to find the scissors as quickly as we could and try to cut that out of our Bible we would be in a whole lot of trouble in this life we would be just like those who try to earn their way We would be just like those who are trying to earn justification by works. We would be like the Jews of old. We would be like every other religion in the world other than true Christianity that is by faith alone in Christ alone because of the Scriptures alone. We would be just like the humanistic moralists of our day who try to say, my life is okay, look at what I do, I'm not as bad as the other guy. Because for them, there is only the potential of no condemnation. And that, in and of itself, is only in their minds. It is a potential that I might not be condemned one day. That is a potential only in their minds. It is not a real potential in the eyes of God. It's only elusive possibility for them because it's by means of effort. You say, how do you know that? Because God's word says, by the works of the law, in other words, by the effort of mankind, no one is justified. No one. So condemnation is the sentence upon all. Condemnation is the reality upon all men who will go their own way and who will not cast themselves upon the mercy seat of God in Christ. Faith is 
the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. If you're going to have faith, you must first believe, Hebrews 11 says, God is. Listen, if you deny the supernatural, you'll never be saved. You can't have faith without first believing God is and that He's the the rewarder of those who seek Him. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In fact, Paul will even say in this chapter, verse 24, For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we perse- with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Listen, dependency upon one's own efforts will not bring salvation. If you've learned anything from our study of Romans, you ought to learn that. That ought to be so so driven down into the very psyche of your being by God as a Christian that when anybody ever tries to do that or anybody ever says that that's okay, that you immediately get kind of shaky inside and go, that can't be. And often as Christians, when we sin, we run back to that trap. We convince ourselves that our efforts at holiness are what got us into the kingdom of God in the first place. We instead of dealing with the conscience producing shame by confession and repentance and obedience by faith, instead of that, we we believe we're condemned. But Paul says no condemnation is a now reality for the Christian. It's a now reality. As you sit here right now, not tomorrow, not yesterday. Yesterday it was reality. Today it's a reality. Tomorrow it's a reality because it's right now. It's a now reality. You notice what he says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in what? Christ Jesus. And here we see the beginning of the first proof as to why there is no condemnation for the Christian before God. Why? Proof number one, because we have an unbreakable unity with Jesus Christ. This is why you cannot be saved without Christ. This is why without Jesus Christ there is only condemnation. This is why we are in a position of not being condemned solely because of our unity with Jesus Christ. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. There's that other small word. In other words, our position before God is as entire, it is as complete, it is as absolute for one reason and one reason only. It is all of that because of our unity with Jesus Christ. We must understand this. 
We must get this from our heads down into our very souls. We must live in absolute belief in this if we are going to walk obediently before God. We must believe this. This is a faith issue, folks. This is a matter of faith. We cannot say to ourselves, oh, it's great that God saved me, that God, that I have some kind of some supernatural fire insurance in my back pocket so that the day I take my final breath, I know I'll be with God. But today, if I sin, somehow I remain under condemnation. You cannot have one part of the Word of God being true and some other part of the Word of God being doubtful. There is no condemnation now, and there will never be condemnation in the future. Condemnation is now impossible because of our now position in Christ. That's what Paul's saying. Condemnation for you as a Christian is impossible. Do you ever think of your salvation like that? Condemnation for you as a believer is impossible. People come up with those crazy questions. Is there anything God cannot do? Is there anything that God cannot do? Well, God cannot sin. And guess what else God cannot do? He cannot condemn those who are in Christ. You realize that? He cannot condemn those who are in His Son. Now, you notice that Paul is not talking about our experience existentially. He is not talking about our feelings. He is declaring our now eternal position. Our now eternal position. Experience and feelings have to to be overridden. There's an important difference here, right? We, We don't experience this by way of some kind of emotional thing. We, we don't have some uji feelings that give me this confidence that I'm not under condemnation because frankly, when I sin, my feelings are ashamed. No, this is an eternal position. That's what the word no means. There is therefore now no condemnation. Therefore, now this is important. Listen, because that is true, you and I should never feel condemned. Ashamed? Yes. Condemned? No. Just listen to some other passages that speak to the same issue. John 3, verse 18. Whoever believes in Him, that is Jesus, whoever believes in Jesus, is not condemned. Two verses before that, John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever should believe upon Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Then chapter, verse three, or chapter 3, verse 18, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? Why are they condemned already? Because 
They have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. In other words, Jesus is saying, whoever hears what I'm telling you and believes it, what you're really doing is believing what God said. Your faith is in something unseen. What God said about Jesus Christ is true. You believe you have. Then he says you have eternal life. You do not come into judgment, but you have passed from death to life. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we, we get this weird thing going on in our head. We say, yeah, the Scriptures say that, but I want to hear the words of Jesus. Okay, Jesus said it. It's the same thing. But if that helps you, Jesus said it. Galatians 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. What's the curse of the law? Condemnation. The law says do this. You don't do it, you're condemned. There's no grace, there's no mercy. It's the law said it, you didn't do it, you condemn. That's the curse of the law. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He was condemned for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who is hanged on a tree. How about 2 Corinthians 5.17? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Let's say, it the, let's say it the way Paul's saying in Romans. For anyone who's in Christ, there's no condemnation. That's new. The old has passed away. Condemnation is gone. Behold, the new has come. The no condemnation. Back a few chapters back in Romans. Romans chapter 4, verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Blessed is the man who is not condemned. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. This is Paul talking. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them to be but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. That's the righteousness of condemnation. The righteousness that comes from the law, one of works, one that you can never do perfectly. That's the righteousness of condemnation, if we can even say it that way. That's the righteousness that comes from the law. But I want to righteousness that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul says, I want a different condemnation because mine will never hold up. I want one from God. Titus 2, verse 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared. Who's the grace of God? For the grace of God has appeared. Who's that? Christ. Christ Jesus. Bringing salvation for all people. Right? It's available. The gospel's out. The gospel goes out. Training us, that is the Christian, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. This is what the grace of God does. This is what a relationship with Christ does. This is what no condemnation leads to. Trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. 
and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, why? In order to redeem us from all lawlessness. What's, what's lawlessness? Condemnable deeds, right? The con- things of condemnation. He redeemed us from all that and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You see, the no condemnation position wasn't a redemption so that you go, oh, hey, guess what? I'm free. I can do whatever I want. I'll just run back to the life of sin I had before. Not what God redeemed you for. He redeemed you from all of that, to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works, obedience. So listen, because this is true of the Christian, we should never allow ourselves to feel condemned. You're not condemned. That is exactly how Satan wants us to feel when we sin. He wants us to feel condemned by God. He wants us to distrust what God said. He wants to do with us exactly what He did with Eve in the garden. Has God really meant what He said? I mean, here God says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Really? Does God really mean that? I mean, after all, look at your life. Yeah, you say you believe in Jesus, but it doesn't seem like you can obey. You really don't do it. Oh, sure, every now and then, like a broken clock, you're right twice a day, but you don't actually aren't consistent. You're condemnable. Distrust what God said. Believe you're still condemned. Listen, we, we must remember that that is not our position. Our permanent position before God is one of no condemnation. Not because we earned it. Not because you obey perfectly. Not because you do everything right all the time. Not because every word that flows from your mouth is the, the glorious words of the gospel every time. No. Not because you obey perfectly or even obey with a high percentage. But because you're unified with Jesus Christ. That's it. You're unified with Christ. Because we are in Christ Jesus. And so what is God desiring us to affirm here? He's wanting us to affirm the absolute truth of our assured salvation. The absolute truth of our assured salvation. Assurance. You need to rest assured that being in Christ is a sure position. In Christ, all of our sin, past, future, and present right now, sin, has been dealt with before God. Think about that. Think about the freedom that is. 
We are not condemned because of our sin anymore. You see, beloved, I believe we get ourselves into a whole host of difficulty as Christians simply because we say we believe this truth, but we live as if it's actually not true at all. I think we actually have convinced ourselves that the no condemnation truth only deals with our past sins. But yeah, yeah, okay, I agree with you. I, I'm, I'm not under condemnation for my past sins, but what about today's? What about the future sins? And when we do that, you know what we're doing? We're going about attempting to rectify our disobedience by our own human effort. And when we fail again and again like we do, we easily convince ourselves, I'm condemned. We agree with, we agree with the evil one. But if the word of God is true, is the word of God true? All of it. Jesus said it's easier for the heavens and the earth to pass away than for one little piece of his word to go untrue. If the word of God is true, then the position of condemnation is impossible. Not because of us, but because of Christ. We are in Christ Jesus. We emphasized this before in chapter 5. Our unity with Christ is everything. In other words, if I ask the question, what is a Christian? What is a Christian? Well, it certainly isn't somebody who obeys perfectly, I can tell you that. It isn't someone who never fails. Christians aren't people who strive to do the religious things perfectly. No. You don't want to know what the definition of a Christian is? Right here, two little words, in Christ. You know what a Christian is? Somebody who's in Christ. Somebody who's in Christ. Romans 5 says that God justifies the ungodly. He doesn't justify the godly. He justifies the ungodly. And the only way for the ungodly to be justified is to be put into Christ. There is no other way. And God, thankful to Him, God who puts us into Christ and is transforming us into Christ-likeness is the same God who is faithful to complete that work in us. God would never allow you as his child to just run headlong into sin without any kind of consequence in your life, without any kind of loving chastisement in your life. He would never allow his name to be blasphemed in that kind of way in an ongoing fashion. He wouldn't do that. Why? Because he cares too much for his son and he cares too much for his glory. And so think about it. As one man put it, 
quote, God's act of justification is the basis of our final assurance. It's the basis of our absolute certainty that we can never again come under condemnation and that God will go on with His work in us until we are glorified entire and complete without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, unquote. That's what God's doing. That's what God's doing. So if you are in Christ Jesus, and the only way to get in Christ Jesus is by faith in Christ alone, then you will remain there and you are not condemned and nothing can ever take you out of Him, not even your sin. What a comfort. What a What a comfort. What an encouragement. What a motivation to obedience. Since I'm in Christ, what is His is mine. And since I'm in Christ, when Christ died, I died. Since I'm in Christ, when Christ rose, I rose. Since I'm in Christ, when Christ ascended and was seated in the heavenly places, I ascended and was seated with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ. Since Christ is not condemned, neither am I. I am not condemned. Far too often we get so down. We are miserable. Why? Because we've convinced ourselves that because of sin, that the truth here in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, could never possibly be true. How could you, pastor, say such a thing? Here's how I can say it and why I can say it. Faith. Faith. Anybody here in this room ever seen Noah's Ark? Not the one in Kentucky. No, none of us have. But you believe it. You believe it based on what? Faith. You have the assurance of something hoped for, the conviction of something not seen. Faith. In order to have faith, you must first believe God is. It's supernatural. Faith is the answer in our troubles. Faith is the answer when we're struggling in sin. Faith says, I'm not condemned. Why? Because God said it. I don't think I'm not condemned before God because of something I did right. No, I believe that I'm not condemned because God said so. I didn't do anything. God did it. And faith believes it. That's what faith does. Believes. And thereby, faith lives according to it. You see, being in Christ is the foundation of it all. It's the foundation of everything. 
being in the position of no condemnation doesn't give me license to do whatever my flesh desires. No, it opens my eyes to the highest of standards whereby I hate sin even more. I hate it even more. And because I'm in a position of no condemnation, therefore I fight its temptation all the more. To live as a Christian as if I'm under condemnation again is actually to fail to believe the Word of God. Fail to believe what God says. Ashamed? Yes. Condemned? No way. Impossible. Impossible. You say, is this, is this just a New Testament doctrine? Is this something the New Testament proclaims just for the Christians today? Well, I want to take you back for a moment to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53 is where I want to start. I just want to read a few things. We know Isaiah 53 is a great chapter to the nation of Israel about the suffering servant who is going to come. He's going to pay the price for a nation smitten of God, afflicted, pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, chastened for our well-being, scourging. By His scourging, we are healed. Israel, God's chosen people, yet set aside for a time because of the chastening hand of God, and yet not lost. The children of Abraham, those who are children by faith, would come one day, and the, and the promise is still intact. You notice chapter 54. Shout for joy, O barren one. He's talking about Israel. Shout for joy, O barren one, you who have borne no child. Break forth in joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who have not travailed. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Spare not. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess nations, and they will resettle in desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be put to shame, neither feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. But you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood will you remember no more. Why? For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you, like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like the wife of one's youth, when she is rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In an outburst of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting loving kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. For this is like the days of Noah to me. When I swore that the waters of Noah should not flood the earth again, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you. 
For the mountains may be removed, the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. That's God's words to the people of Israel. My promise is intact. My compassion is intact. I I have a redeemer for you. And then notice what he says in chapter 55. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the water. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? Your wages for what does not satisfy. The reality is, why do you put your effort into the things that are worthless? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercy shown to David. Behold... I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know, and a nation which knows you will run to you. Why? Because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. So seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Because my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. The heavens, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Verse 11, so shall my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. God's word says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. God's word has accomplished that for which he sent it. It does not ever return void. The question for us is, do we believe it? Do we believe it? When we sin, ashamed, yes. Rightly so. Run to Christ. Condemned, no. No. Why? Because we are in Christ. In Christ. Well, we'll get to more proofs next time I hope that encourages your heart this morning to know that to embrace it let's thank God together in prayer Father we thank you for what we've heard this morning for the great privilege of just being under this truth hearing it again it's not a mistake from you that we would hear it again and again and again and again and again we are so forgetful Cause us in those moments of temptation to run with this heartfelt reality of assurance in our heart, knowing that we're not under condemnation and by your Spirit we can do what's right. As we will see in the weeks to come, it is through your Spirit that we obey. We can't obey. You haven't left us unequipped. So thank you for these things, Lord. Help us submit our lives to them. And help this reality, this truth of no condemnation be true of every person here. 
Lord, surely there are those here who have played the game with you, thinking that they can carry their lives without a relationship with Jesus Christ, thinking that life in this world and life in the games that they're playing, oh, someday won't have any effect. Oh, Lord, open their eyes to the deception. Cause them to see, hear the truth, acknowledge their sin before you, and embrace Christ. For we know it's not a joke. It is deadly serious. Eternally serious. Father, would you save them, cause them to not be comfortable in their lives of sin until they turn to you. They might know Jesus Christ by faith and know true life. We'll ask all this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.